want you to turn in the book of Luke. As you know, uh, I pastor both this church in Lloydminster and the church in Loon Lake. And uh, for those of those of the people here that normally travel with us, we have some people here that travel to Loon Lake with us. You'll know that rarely do I talk about the same thing. That's not usually, usually the Lord's got something unique to say to each and every time we, we get up and speak. And, and it seems like he, sometimes he says the same thing to both churches, but most of the time it's, it's different. Uh, but on Father's Day, this, this just Sunday, this last Sunday, um, we, we talked about something that, that I thought was just for them. Uh, but the more I began to pray about it, felt the Lord leading me to, to share it tonight, for us to talk about it tonight. And it's kind of a continuation of some of the things we talked about on Father's Day. Thank God we honor our fathers, and we're glad for them. Um, but you know, I, I stepping into ministry and been in ministry for uh, as a pastor for almost seven years, but in in the ministry world for a lot longer than that, and have seen all my life uh, people that are haven't come out of a perfect situation, people that maybe didn't have the father that that you read about, the father that a lot of people brag about. Maybe you did, um, but if you did, you know somebody who didn't. And we know that uh, you could, if you let it, define you for the rest of your life, or you could let the healer come in and do what he does best. And we're going to talk about that a little bit because I believe that everybody on this planet is affected in some way with the results of the curse. And we as believers are set free from the curse of the law. But living in a world that, that has has fallen, living in a fallen world, living in, in, amongst people that, that may not know the love of God. And, and when you don't know the love of God, it's hard to share the love of God. It's hard to display love until you've received love. And uh, that's why you first have to realize that God loves you, that you're greatly loved, and then you, you w- let God love through you. And we're going to look in the book of Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 begins to talk about John the Baptist. We're just looking on the calendar in the back room, in the prayer room back there, and noticed that next Sunday is St. Jean-Baptiste Day to the French. Well, we're going to talk about John the Baptist a little bit, um, not because that day is coming up, but because uh, there's an interesting, some interesting things that God put in his heart and prophesied over him, that he was a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, you, most of you know the story, but if, for those of you that don't, I'll just recap a little bit. John's very birth was a miracle, just as Jesus's was. John was born to very old parents. Um, and as you know, they weren't expecting a child. And when an angel came in and told John's father, Zechariah, that he was going to have a child, uh, Zechariah didn't respond properly at first. He responded with quite a bit of doubt. And for his own good... The angel said, you can't talk until the baby comes. And uh, that was probably a good thing for him, was just watch that mouth, guard that mouth. And he didn't say a word until John was born. But as soon as John was born, the first thing before he could talk, he wrote on this tablet, the boy's name is John. And Because his wife had already said, we're going to name him John. And the family members, you know how family members are. Family members have their own ideas a lot of times, and they say, but nobody in the family's name is John. In that culture, you named kids after somebody in the family, and you, you had certain names that were in the family, and John was not in the family. They said, how can you name him John? That's not in the family. And uh, 
At that point, they all looked to Zechariah. They looked to the dad, and he made some signs and, then, and wrote on a tablet, his name is John. And that moment, his mouth opened up. And his mouth didn't open up um, just for him to say, oh, I can finally talk. The moment, moment his mouth opened, he began to prophesy. And as you know, he prophesied over his son, uh, talking about the deliverance that was to come, talking about Jesus, but also talking about his young son who was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And he, he prophesied uh, from a couple places, but one of the main parts was out of Isaiah, when Isaiah prophesied that there would be a voice preparing the way for the Lord. There would be somebody coming in the spirit of Elijah. And though John throughout his life said, I'm not that guy, I'm not the Elijah dude, Jesus said, yes, he is. John didn't even know that about himself, but Jesus knew he was the voice, that same spirit that Elijah had coming and preparing the way of the Lord. Now, we don't know how old John's parents were, but they must have been pretty old. So old that there was not even a thought that they'd ever have a kid. Beginning of Luke says that after this, these things, John grew in the spirit. He grew up as a young man, but it says as a boy, he grew up and he spent the rest of his days in the desert until his time to be revealed to Israel. So either one of two things seems to have happened there, and this is what, what we can kind of assume from reading that, that either his parents were so old that they died when he was a pretty young boy, which is likely, because in that day and age you didn't have people just kind of living on health care and, and, and living on machines. I mean, once, once you got pretty old, that was, that was it. Or <laughs> the other option, which I don't think is as likely as they said, you're supposed to be in the desert. Go on, boy. Get out there, you know. Live in the desert for a while. I think probably what happened is that they went on and passed away, and John is just a boy. He probably could have lived with relatives. But what he knows is that the thing that his father said when he was born, and I'm sure his father repeated it over and over throughout his life, is you are going to be the voice crying in the desert, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So John did the best thing he knew how, go to the wilderness. He grew up there. You know when somebody grows up in the wilderness, they're not the most culturally savvy people. You know, he, wears, he wore smelly animal hides, maybe not cleaned as well as they should have been, wore those around, ate locusts and honey that he just happened to find, and when the day comes, he shows up in Israel, makes a scene. This big, ugly brute with a, you know, probably a big, messy beard, smelly clothes. I mean, come on. We know that most men, if they, if they were never around women, just wouldn't wash their clothes near as much as we do. <laughs> or wash themselves. We smell fine. It's, it's, it's the smell of a man. It's fine. And uh, I'm, sure he <laughs> I'm sure he didn't smell all that great. Probably didn't have the best manners. Because when Jesus talked about him, he said, what did you expect to see when you went to see John? Do you expect to see a guy that was raised in a palace? Do you expect to see this, this, this little fragile guy that would, that would be you know, great manners but, but a weak backbone? He said, that's not what you got. That's not what you should have expected to get. And when they met John, they met a guy that was just different. And he came in, but all of a sudden they knew he had something real. We call him John the Baptist because, why? He baptized people, right? Well, as hard as I search, I can't find anywhere else before that in the Bible where anyone was baptized. So it must have been a pretty weird thing that this guy came along. Because up to that point, forgiveness of sins came through sacrificing something, right? 
The Bible says he preached repentance and forgiveness of sins. That he was giving people a chance as he came to prepare the way of the Lord to repent and get baptized and their sins would be washed away. Now that's not weird to us because we're used to this and we've heard the story. But can you imagine being a person in that day and age going, yo, what? So I get dunked underwater and my sins go away? And he said, well, you have to bear fruits in accordance to repentance. It's not just about the dunking. It's got to be a heart thing. But as he did it, I'm sure this was an earth-shaking thing. I want you to read with me in Luke chapter 3 what the Word says about him. It says this in verse 1, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor, governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Trisanius was tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Like I said, this is a, is a new concept, being forgiven of your sins. This is before Jesus, before the cross. This is in the Old Covenant. He's preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. What a great word. This is what he came to do. And everything that you read about what John came to do in this prophecy, Jesus did much more. And Jesus completed what was begun by the ministry of John. John was simply sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And Jesus brought fulfillment to these things. But you see what was prophesied about him, the first thing, one of the first things was that every ravine would be filled up. Every ravine, as we know, a ravine is like a canyon. It's a, it's a big gap. It's a hole, right? It's a valley. And every ravine would be filled up. Every mountain would be brought low. We certainly saw some of that. As you saw, you see all these broken down, messed up people. He came to a tough area. In fact, when his father first prophesied over him, he talked about this. He talked about John, and then he talked about Jesus. And he said, the Lord's been merciful to us, to those of us that sit in the valley of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. So you can imagine, this isn't the... The happiest place on earth. They're oppressed by the Romans. They're oppressed by poverty. They're oppressed by the result of their own separation from God. And as he comes and begins to preach this, you see the ravines being filled up. That these broken, hurting, messed up people who through just the results of life and also the results of their own separation from God through sin, have been pretty broken and messed up. And all of a sudden, this guy comes and says, your relationship with God can be repaired. You come here, you turn, you get baptized, and you and God, He's not going to hold all that stuff against you anymore. 
he preached forgiveness, not just repentance, but forgiveness with it, which is a new concept. And they knew about forgiveness, but as you know, the Bible says in the Old Covenant, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So this was a, a certain extraordinary period before Jesus came. And you'll notice it throughout from the time of John the Baptist to the time of the cross that there's this strange period where people are forgiven with no blood being shed. Why? I mean, I imagine that God is looking ahead to the cross and in light of what Jesus will do, he considered it done. And there were some things even outside of the order of things because Jesus you know, talks to a, a man who's, who's crippled and tells him, take up your bed and walk and your sins are forgiven. And, and the people weren't upset that he told the man to walk. They were upset that he told them his sins were forgiven. How can you tell a man his sins are forgiven? It was a revolutionary thought. And so John is preaching this and as all these broken, messed up people come to him, God is reaching down, taking them by the hand and lifting them up. And as you see Jesus come in, he does the exact same thing. He goes to the most messed up, broken people. And he does not come and just jump in the mud with them and go, I'm no better than you guys. No, he comes, takes skin like them, takes flesh like them, but lifts them up from where they are to where he is. That's what Jesus did for us. The Bible does not say that Jesus forever has come down to our level. He came down to our level to lift us to his level. It says we've been seated with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Jesus came down to lift you up, not to stay down so you could bring him down. And so there's this, there's this moment where all these messed up people, they come. God is filling up these valleys. These people that are low in society, these people that are rejected, are being brought up again. Then you see the ones, the mountains being brought low. You see the Pharisees and the religious uh, leaders come to John and, and play the game because he's getting crowds, right? And you want to be seen by the crowds when John's there because he's popular. And as they show up on John the Baptist's traveling weird show, traveling freak show that he brings along, they show up and he goes, who warned you? Remember that great moment? This is not something most preachers get away with. Who warned you? Who said you could show up? You brood of vipers. I and mean, they're just coming apparently to get baptized. Who warned you about the judgment to come? And he says, if you've really repented, you're going to bear fruits in accordance with repentance. Show me. Because it wasn't for real. They were just kind of playing the game. And so you see this moment where the, the low are being brought up and, and the ones that have exalted themselves. See, there's a big difference between exalting yourself and letting God exalt you. The Bible says that God exalts the humble. He does lift you up. But these people lifted himself, themselves up, puffed themselves up. And as we read last week, that when you seek to establish your own righteousness with God, you neglect His righteousness. And so they tried to establish themselves and puffed themselves up, and they got brought down real big. And Jesus carried that on, Right? I mean, you see him real nice and real loving and bringing people up, but the ones that think they've got it together and all already way up here, he brings them down to the right level. And that's mercy, guys. Because here's the level where God, where Jesus was working. And in order for them to receive the grace of God, 
they had to know that they needed the grace of God. As long as they think their way up here, they're not going to receive anything from God. They think they got it all together. You can't receive anything from God. You have to know, I need that. I need Him. And that hardness of heart, that, that pride, that arrogance kept them from receiving from God. So what did He do? Because in the same sense, those that were low, if you stay low and you consider yourself unworthy, and you're just convincing yourself there's no way I'll ever be worthy, then you stay away from God and you're continually separated from God because you consider yourself unworthy. Those ones that were so low... He had to bring them up. He brought them up to a place where he said, I, I accept you, I love you. I'm able to transform you, I'm able to change you. You can be forgiven. People that thought they could never be forgiven were forgiven. So you see a, a leveling, the low being brought up, the mountains being brought low. And it says every crooked place is made straight. And I believe that sin makes crooked places and certainly that repentance made some things straight. But I also think there's probably crooked places in our lives that are there because of other people and other things and hurts, damage in your life. That if you let it and it's not addressed, then it's kind of like a tree that grew up near a wall. You ever seen a tree that kind of grew up small near a wall? But it got bigger, and as it did, it didn't grow straight up. It kind of grew around the wall. It grew around the, the curve. Sometimes there's things that happen to us at a young age or a certain point in life. They hurt. We don't know that God can heal them or we don't let God heal them. And pretty soon life kind of grows up around these things and it becomes a part of your identity. You know, God comes along and he heals you of that hurt. But you know, sometimes the most painful thing is changing your whole identity. Realizing I'm not identified by that abuse anymore. The Lord has blessed me so much in that ministry in Loon Lake. And a lot of the people in our church in Loon Lake came from some pretty messed up, bashed up places. It had some real things that could really define them. In fact, we've got a whole culture that, that in, in, at many times we'll, we'll, there's, there's different things that happen in our history and we'll define them ourselves as victims because of this thing that happened. While you very well may have been victimized and it was wrong, at some point, you have to say, I'm going to re let God redefine me. I'm going to see myself like he sees me. I'm not going to, for the rest of my life, be defined by the thing the devil did to me to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to be defined by the thing that Jesus did and brought me life. And your life kind of grew up around those hurts, and in order to survive, you built up walls and, and things, and what God comes and does is he brings you back up and he begins to break down those walls and begins to break down those parts of your heart that have been scarred and damaged because as you know, when you've got scars, they're not as sensitive as the rest of your skin. If your heart is scarred all over the place, it's not as sensitive as you think it is. Because you know, and I've had plenty of people in my life that are the same way, where you have people you love and you want to love, but because of something that damaged you at some point, you find it difficult to love these people or to let them love you. And until you let God come in, and as he says he would do, what did he say? He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I love that. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Now, you know, when wounds are bound up, they heal. They get better. They don't stay there. 
God came to heal broken hearts and bind up these wounds. In fact, what Jesus reads out of, when he reads out of the book of Isaiah, it says exactly that. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. Thank God for this. So, in life, we see this, that God is the God that lifts up these low valleys so that a way is prepared for the Lord. And these crooked places that have been made crooked, they're now made straight. Now, one of the first things that happened through the ministry of John was he said, repent from your sin, because a lot of times, in fact, you know, all of these things, that some of these things were just a, a being born in the wrong time in the wrong place, but there were other things that were caused by their own sin, by their own separation from God, and when they repented, here's what happened. You're brought back to God, and He is the healer. He is life. When we were forgiven, when we were made righteous, when we were made clean again, we, we, we were restored to a right relationship with God, with the healer Himself. So everything that's broken and fractured, didn't matter who did it or how it happened, whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault, doesn't matter. We were restored to life itself. All those broken places, He is the healer of those places. So this last Father's Day, you may have been one of those people who says, I did not have a good, good experience of a father. Yet we serve a God who is the Father to the fatherless who heals broken hearts and binds up their wounds and for the rest of your life you're not the person who doesn't have a father see help me out here but if he's the father to the fatherless are you fatherless anymore we say well I've always thought I was fatherless but if he became the father to the fatherless you can't be called fatherless anymore he's your father and you've got to get over that and say, I, he, I have got to embrace the fact that he will be to me what nobody ever was to me. He's going to fill in gaps that were left since I was a kid, but God is. Where everyone else failed, God is those things. He is the great I am. He is what I need. He is the healer. And I don't have to go through life saying, I lack this and I lack that because he is my everything. My identity is changing based on that. I was blessed. I had a loving father who I could look at and get an idea of how God treated me. Some of you had to totally rewire your image of the father based on the father that we see here. Thank God for that. Because you and I, whether or not you had a good experience or a bad experience, whether you had a tough childhood or a good childhood, we've come to the same place the Father of lights. We've come to the place where you're loved like you never could imagine you're loved. And you have to let God rewire you. I understand there are things that are, keep coming up. I understand that, the, that in the natural, it is an extreme disadvantage to have these things happen to you when you're young, to have these things happen to you that you couldn't control or out of your control. But we understand that a man born blind met Jesus, and he wasn't blind anymore. Man born lame met Jesus, and he wasn't lame anymore. If Jesus could do that to their physical bodies, can Jesus do that to your spirit? Can he do that to your soul? Can he heal your emotions? That man didn't go for the rest of his life. The blind man didn't go for the rest of his life reaching out and tapping things and going, I'm sorry, it's an old habit. But now he could see, and he walked different. When you see, you walk different. 
when the man could walk with his legs, he could walk different. Now, maybe you're not at that spot yet, but I want to tell you, you can be because he is what you need. He is what you need. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that says, you'll get no sympathy from me. We're all in the same boat. I realize we're not. There are people that are not playing with the same deck of cards that I was dealt. And, and I understand that, but I understand that God lifts up the low. He fills the ravines and brings down the mountains. And when God steps in, we all stand on equal ground, and He can raise you up when nothing else worked. He is what you need. Thank God. All flesh will see the salvation of God. I want to read you from two more places in the Bible. First, Psalm 68, then Isaiah 61. Psalm 68 is a psalm of David, and David... So far as we know, had a fairly good upbringing. Well, <laughs> he had a dad that loved him, but a dad didn't. Dad didn't think that much of him, because uh, you know his dad. His dad was the last person to be convinced. Oh, he can be king, really, David. But you know, he was loved. He had a bunch of brothers, all of that. But what we see in Psalm sixty-eight is not David's thoughts. These are God's thoughts through David. And here's what he says about himself. He says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Exult means to brag, to boast, to lift God up and to talk about it, to sing about it, to rejoice in it. He says, Yet let the, yes, let them rejoice with gladness, sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up the song for Him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before Him. Listen to this, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. See, this was a culture where widows were not well off. Once your, once your husband died, you often couldn't, you couldn't raise the same amount of money you could when, you fought, when your husband was there. Certainly, no one would hire you for the same things. And if you owned land, it was much more difficult. We see widows in, in the time of, for instance, the, the prophets. There's, there's Elisha comes along, and there's a widow who took care of him. And we find her at one point working out in the field, but her son was helping her. But, you know, widows, it was a lot of times they were not so well off. And, and what we see throughout the Psalms and throughout uh, some of the you know, minor prophets is we see that that people started taking advantage of the widows, taking their land away and saying, what are you going to do about it? Is your husband going to come get me? Oh, he's gone. In fact, there's a, there's a famous scripture in the book of Psalms that says, says, don't remove the ancient landmarks, which were the boundaries that determined this is your property. It says, Never, neither set foot in the fields of the fatherless. And what he meant by that is, don't go trying to take the land of widows and orphans. I'm taking care of them. They're my kids. And he says he is a father to the fatherless, and he is a judge for the widows. And you see Jesus tell that story about the widow who the judge would not listen to her because she had, what are you going to do? You're just a widow. It's not worth my time. He was corrupt. He was waiting for a bribe. She didn't have money to bribe him. But she was so persistent, she kept bugging him, and he couldn't get any sleep that he finally helped her. But in this case, he says he's the judge for the widow. 
And if anybody tried to take advantage of the widow, they found themselves face to face with Yahweh himself fighting for that woman, fighting for that single mother, fighting for that woman that no one else was fighting for. God was fighting for her. And that orphan that had nobody to look up to, nobody to to emulate, nobody to stand up for him, nobody to teach him what a father was like, he says, I want to be that father to those kids. Father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. You love that? See, this is one of the greatest things about the church, not the building. Not the Sunday morning gathering, but the church is in the body of Christ. Is in the church when it's working right. It's a home for the lonely. It's more than that, but it's one of the things it is. It's a home for the lonely. That God brings them into a family. There are people that didn't have family, and God brought them in, and they now have family. I can see, I mean... Uncles and aunts to me were a different thing. I love my uncles and aunts that live in Texas and Arkansas and California. But I didn't have a real, real big relationship with them. I love them. They're great to hang out with, but I saw them maybe once a year. So my uncles and aunts growing up were people in Lloydminster and Loon Lake. I mean, my uncles and aunts were other believers. This was my family. And I come to know that there's people who are lonely, who are, have no family, who, who think that, that nobody's there for them. And it says, God makes a home for the lonely. You see the, rift, the valleys being filled up. The people that are just down there, he's lifting up and saying, a way is being prepared for the Lord. Here he says, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious will dwell in a parched land. What does that mean? That means the people that... <laughs> People that don't want God's help won't get God's help. The ones that refuse Him, fine, you can refuse Him and live in a parched land. But everybody else, they're living in a land where the water, where the rain comes from heaven. They're living in a land where God provides their needs. They're living in a land where they are flourishing and they're growing. The ones who stay in the parched land are the ones that resist God and say, I don't need that. I don't need that. I can make it on my own. And, you know, I've met my share of people that that feel that they have to say they can make it on their own. Because for so long, people have told them they can't make it on their own, that they've had to say all their life, I can make it on my own. I can do this. I can do that. And at some point, you've got to say, you don't have to make it on your own. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. You want to stay in Parchedville, having a pity party, and saying, you don't understand. It's the way I grew up. You don't understand the things that happened to me. You know what? I get it. Maybe I don't understand. But I know the one who does. And he's offering you life. He's offering you hope. He's offering you a second chance. He's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you all these things. And if you reject him, you can stay in a parched land. Or you can come to him. Father to the fatherless. Judge for the widow. One who makes a home for the lonely. Now understand, as the church, if you're on the other side of this thing, if you were that, but you're not that anymore, then you are who God made you to be. Whether or not, whether or not you really feel like you're on the other side, you are now the body of Christ. So God's going to use you to do these things. 
We sometimes imagine that God is just working outside of us, and we're just, it's just a one-side-channel cha- one thing. But you understand that part of the blessing of God is being part of it, is getting to be involved in it. That it says we were created, His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in. So we were made for this, and He's doing it through us. It's His strength, it's His power, it's His anointing. But when you read that God is going to do these things for these people, you've got to understand that often God uses people to do what He wants to do. And so when I hear him say he makes a home for the lonely, I've got to assume that at some point I may be used and probably will be used to be a part of that home for the lonely. When I see him say that he stands up for the widow, I want to get on the right side of that and say, You're using, are you using me on this one? Because we are his hands. He says this, Oh God, When you went forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You shed abroad a plentiful rain, O God. You confirmed your inheritance when it was parched. When that land was parched, God confirmed his inheritance by bringing water to a parched land, to a broken land, to a cracked land. He brought rain and life. It says your creatures settled in it. You provided in your goodness For the poor, O God. Isn't that awesome? He says, the Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host. Kings of armies flee, they flee. And she who remains at home will divide the spoil. When you lie down among the sheepfolds, you are like the wings of a dove covered with silver and its pinions with glistening gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings there, it was snowing in Zalmon. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountain with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads. That's a lot. That's thousands upon thousands. In fact, it just says thousands upon thousands. If I had only read further. (laughs) You know, sometimes we just got to trust the word to explain itself. It says this. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. Do you hear that? Blessed be the Lord who daily, every day, bears our burden. There is not a burden that's yours to bear anymore. You took his yoke upon you. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He took yours. Thank God. I love that verse and we've talked about it thousands, myriads of times. Where he says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. As we've explained time and again, that term to cast upon that they talk about was something that was used at the time quite often for transferring the burden from one tired animal to a fresh animal. You transfer the entire burden onto this animal. When we cast our cares onto him, most of you have heard me say this before, but I'll repeat it. I used to always picture me casting my cares to God and him casting them into the sea of forgetfulness and going, ha, don't worry about that anymore. But here I was, still with issues. But That's not what he says. 
He doesn't say cast it away. He doesn't say forget about it. He says cast it onto him for he cares. He tells you to stop caring because he's caring about it. And he bears it for you. You are not saying these are real issues, God. Really appreciate it. If you don't just pretend they're not there, they really do need to be dealt with. Because so many times we go, if I don't deal with it, no one will. That's our big thing. That's our reason for worrying, right? If I don't worry about it, nobody's worried about it. Well, somebody is caring about it. God is. If you give it to him. Now, if you give it to him and take it back, that's your problem. Just quit doing that. But he says, blessed be the Lord God who daily bears our burdens. People carry burdens for a long time. Some that they feel it's their lifetime burden to carry. You know, it's sometimes easier, and I, I know this is odd, but it's sometimes easier to be healed when you know it wasn't your fault as opposed to when you know it was your fault. When you know it's your fault, there's this trigger that comes from our old nature, from our old self-condemning, guilt-drenched nature that says, you deserve to carry this. You did this to yourself. Remember my wife. Man, so many miracles in her life. When, I've told you this. When her parents finally got a hold of the word, dad got healed from hep C, her mom got healed from a crippling chemical sensitivity that couldn't let, wouldn't let her leave the house. And little Tia, is just a young girl, all of a sudden thinks she had the skin conditions on her arm. Doctors said, there's nothing we can do about that. You can just manage it. She said, God can heal it. They agreed. They prayed over it. Went away. She had a medical condition, another one that was dietary that doctors said, you have to live with that. But she said, no. She's just this little kid full of faith now. And says, no, I don't have to. And the Lord healed her of that as well. Then when she was a young woman, though, she had family members that dealt with back issues. And uh, she was a strong young lady, was in track and all of that. And she was lifting a desk. It was a stupid move. It wasn't the way you're supposed to lift it. We shouldn't have lifted it by yourself. But you, if you know my wife, she starts moving things when she gets creative, and if no one's around to help her, she's going to do it. I wake up in the middle of the night and go, I hear things moving. And there she is pushing a big old armoire back. And I, I say, Why don't you, I can help you with this stuff. I'm, I'm a man. I can help. She goes, I just, you know, just want to get done right away. I don't want to bother you. I just, she gets creative. And uh, when you're a creative person, you got to get it done, Right? It's hard to wait on people like me that uh, say, let's think about this, you know. So she's moving a desk and hurt her back very bad, really bad. And for years, dealt with that for years. And we were, um, as when we were engaged, we were, uh, I took her down to meet uh, my brother and my sister. And, and uh, we, uh, I had her stay with, um, at, when we went to Texarkana, had, we had her stay with, uh, Brother Tracy's mom, actually, uh, Doris Harris, and uh, took care of her, and it was great. And then we came, and we went to uh, Pastor Tracy's church, and uh, he began to talk about this miracle that God had done, where he did something stupid. And for the longest time, he, didn't, he just wouldn't receive God's 
help in the matter because it was his fault. And God finally dealt with him and said, listen, man, you've got to let this go and just let me take care of this. And he finally did, and thank God. And God did this great miracle. Well, it clicked into his heart. It clicked in her mind all of a sudden that for so long, she had not counted herself worthy of what God wanted to do in her back because it was her fault. These other things that God had healed, they weren't her fault. She was just born with it. But this, she felt, I did this to myself. And it was a barrier to keep her from receiving the grace of God in her life. And so many times, that's what happens to us. We think, oh, I deserve this. But you know what? There's a lot of things you deserve. You deserve to go to hell. Not anymore. Jesus took that. If he took all that other stuff, surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. And you've got to let that stuff go and say it was my fault. It doesn't matter whose fault it was anymore. Jesus took all that stuff that was your fault. You've just got to say whether or not it was my fault or not. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was something that was done to you. He's the healer. Maybe it was something done because of you. He's the healer. Blessed be the God who daily bears our burdens. Daily bears our burdens. And if he's bearing our burdens, they cease to be our burdens. They're not ours anymore. We've got to let, them, let him take care of what he takes care of. It says this, the God who is our salvation, Selah, and of course Selah, as we understand it, means to take a break, maybe a musical break, maybe a silent break, and think about this, meditate on this for a minute. Then he says this, God is to us. I want you to hear that again. God is to who? Us. God is to us, a God of deliverances. I love that. Plural. Many deliverances. God to us, not just up there, not just some fairy tale God, not just God that you tell people stories about, but God is to us a God of deliverances. And whatever we need to be delivered from, He is the God of deliverances. They come from Him. That's what He does. He is that to us. Now, if you can read this and you're thinking of all the other people that need to be delivered, you need to put this back on yourself for a moment and say, wait a minute. I'm thankful he can deliver all these other people, but thank God he can deliver me. He has delivered me. He will deliver me. As Paul said, he has delivered us. He is delivering us, and he will yet deliver me. He is a God of deliverances. And to God the Lord belongs, escapes, plural. They talk about a cat having nine lives. You've got more than that. It says, oh, you've really got one, but look at this. He says, to God alone belongs, escapes, from death. We'll stop there for a minute. Isn't that awesome? This is how God describes himself. Father to the fatherless. Judge for the widow. Someone who makes a home for the lonely. They didn't have a home before. What are they called? Homeless. Maybe on this Father's Day you were struck with what you didn't have. You need to know now what you do have. In Isaiah 61, and we'll close with this thought. Isaiah 61, most of you could quote most of it by heart. 
is a beloved scripture to, to us in, in this new covenant. We love this. Don't you love it? Because you may say, well, wasn't that, wasn't that to the Israelites back then? Well, we understand it starts out with a proclamation that Jesus said, I'm here to fulfill that. So we can assume the rest of the chapter is all about what Jesus has brought to us. Jesus said, this day, this is fulfilled. So through Jesus, we have what He's promising here. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. So if you feel afflicted, God is here to bring good news. He says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. See, ashes is what you heap on yourself when you're mourning. Two times you do that when you're mourning something that happened to you, like a death of a loved one, or you're mourning because of something you did. See, they put those same ashes on themselves when they were repenting and struck because of what they did. But he says, it doesn't matter whether you did it or not. Those ashes you've been carrying around that have defined you, I'm going to give you something new to define you. This is what God does. He says, you may have defined yourself by this all your life, a victim. And no one here is saying that that was right or it didn't happen. But what we are saying is that we have a God who can heal it. He comes and He gives you a new identity instead of those ashes. He's got a garland for you. Celebration, uh, some, uh, a symbol of victory, a symbol of triumph. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Isn't that cool? The oil of gladness. Maybe you're not catching the meaning, but that's anointed to be glad. You know? And sometimes you need to be anointed to be glad. There's situations where I need anointed to be glad. I, I have no, this is not a situation that causes gladness in me. But Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brethren. And so you look at what Jesus was going through and all the people he had to deal with and the messed up situations he had to deal with. And by the way, we don't know what happened to Joseph either. Because we don't see him mentioned after Jesus was 12. Maybe he was just one of those guys who stayed at home the whole time. But we see his mom and his brothers showing up. We don't see anybody else. Could Very well could have been that Jesus was without that male influence in his life. But you know what replaced that? Didn't, didn't only replace it. I mean, that's minimizing to say it replaced that. But you know what he had? A heavenly father. He didn't go around saying, well, I don't know what you had. He had a heavenly father. That oil of gladness means you're anointed with His gladness. Even when you feel you should be mourning, you're able to laugh. You're able to sing. You're able to dance when no one thinks it's the time to dance. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of, of fainting. When you're about to give up. When there's a spirit of fainting, that's somebody who's about 
to give up. Your knees are just about to give out. You are saying things like, I'm near a breakdown. And he has put on you a mantle of praise. The best thing you can do when you get to near breakdown or even close to it is to begin to praise God and trust in that and say, Lord, I need that joy, I need that praise, and I'm going to think about you instead of me. The more you think about you, the more you're going to have reason to be sad. The more you think about Him and His deliverance and His salvation, the more you've got a reason to praise and be happy. And it says this, So they will be called oaks of righteousness. Anybody pushed an oak tree over lately? Not that easy, is it? The planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. I love that. You see, this is what we're talking about. God's going to take your life, and if it was messed up and broken before, watch what He does with it. And watch Him put you like a trophy on His mantelpiece and look and say, look, look, I am glorified by the fact Not that you were broken and stayed broken, but I'm glorified by the fact that you are now my handiwork. And people can say, that's who you were, but this is who you are. It says that the Lord may be glorified, that then He will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. You think of generation after generation. You see, in the world, this is what happens. Father hits his son. Son grows up and hits his son. Who grows up and hits his son. Till if somebody at one point decides, I'm going to break this chain. Dealt with in great numbers in the north, the cycle of not only physical abuse, but sexual abuse over and over and over again. People that were abused as kids now deal with the same strong temptations as adults. I had a couple in my, in my office probably about five years ago, and they had a family history of sexual abuse that went across the tree. They had a brother who was about to go on trial for the very same thing. And I heard the father say it, and I think it was significant that the father said it. He said it to me very clearly. He said, we're going to be the ones that break this chain. We're the ones that break this chain. And I rejoice to hear it. Because the the strength to break that was coming from the Lord himself. Somebody stood up and said, we're not going to let this be a cycle throughout our whole family that goes over and over and over again. We stops here. It ends now with this generation. This is it. And I love how it says this. You're going to repair ruined cities, places that were torn down. The thief came, he stole, he killed, he destroyed, and yet you come and build up again and edify. The desolations of many generations, God rebuilds. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers, but you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You'll eat the wealth of nations, and in the riches you will boast. And certainly this has a part to play in Israel. Yes, it does. But as the seed of Abraham, through, as Galatians 3.13 says, through what Jesus did for you, becoming a curse, so that you may be blessed. There's something happened here. We got in on this. And it says this, instead of your shame, 
you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering. And I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. And their offspring will be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all all the nations. I love this. This is us, guys. Wherever you came from, broken or seemingly not broken, God came and He leveled the field. He, he wants to come and fill in all those gaps in your life. The places where a father should have been. The places where a mother should have been. The places where friends should have been. The places where a husband or a wife. Whatever. God is going to come and fill in the gaps. Heal the broken hearts. Bind up the wounds. So that you are now saying, I'm a planting of the Lord. That the Lord may be glorified. That a way is prepared for the Lord. The Lord can walk in and say, I've got space to work in your heart because you're not dwelling on the past anymore. You leave these trenches in your heart. Every time it rains, the water falls down the same trench. Notice that? If you don't let those hurts get healed, every time a hard time comes, you end up dealing with the same issues. You're having the same conversations with people. You say, I thought I dealt with this. But you let him deal with it. He'll fill up those trenches. He'll bring you back to a place of innocence where you just say, I, I'm the planting of the Lord. I'm new. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all new things have come. And I just believe that God not only wants to do this in your life, but wants you to, to use you as an instrument of this same healing. This is part of the package. This is the good part. You don't just have to be the person that's always being healed. Thank God for that. You get to be the person that He uses in that healing. You get to be the person that pours out that oil that was poured out on you. You get to be the person that lays hands on someone else after hands were laid on you. You get to be the person that when God met you in a place where you were financially in a hole and He fixed the situation, He brought you back, you get to be the person that goes and does the same. He said to Abraham, I have blessed you to be a blessing. Thank God. Thank God. Glass can only spill what it contains. It can only pour out what you've been filled with. First step in all of this is to just receive from the Lord and say, He is who I need Him to be. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. I understand that situations aren't always simple. But can we start out with the proclamation? Can we start out with the idea, 
He is exactly who I need him to be. So much so that he goes and calls himself things like I am. Fill in the blanks. I am. You know? What do you, I mean, who, what do you need right now? Well, he says, I am. And we have to trust and believe that and then let ourselves be on the other end of that and say, hey, you're the great I am. I want you to work through me so that I can be that healing hand that touches the nations. I can be that person that goes and makes a home for the, for the lonely. I can be that person that uh, goes into that fatherless life and shows them the love of a father. I can be that person that says to the widow, the Lord is your justice. The Lord is your defense. And he's going to be all those things. Everything you need. Amen.